0: Welcome back to Bible Time. It's been a little while since we did a podcast. We missed a few days. Uh, We posted a notice on the website there about the Southern Missouri Ozark Spring 2022 Gospel Family Camp meeting. I didn't name it. I just went. So don't blame me for the long name, but it was a blessing And I believe God was there. He met with us. It was on the grounds of Liberty Faith Bible Church in Norwood, Missouri, and they are planning on having that camp meeting again next year. Uh, It was a great blessing. I encourage you to look it up, get the messages, um, also to to plan for next next summer, if that's something that you can make it to. Um, We have another event coming up in the near future, um, a tent revival or more of a gospel crusade that... The Lord has allowed us to do, being sent out of our church here, Liberty Faith Bible Church, and um, we're going to be taking the gospel down um, to Florida with a tent, setting that up. So we will be trying to webcast those with live webcasts, hopefully with video feed as well. Um, I'll have information posted about that in the notices section on our Sermon Audio um, web solo site. Um, you can look that up. Um, and I hope you will. Now, we're going to get into our text. Colossians 3.3. 3. Colossians 3.3. 3. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ. This is a subject that is so huge, and yet Paul says it so succinctly. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ. And we're just going to study up, down, and all around this text today with the Lord's help, and hopefully we will get something. It is the Lord who brings illumination to our hearts and to our minds. And that's what we pray for. That's what we'll pray for right now. Father, please do that. Please give us illumination. Give us understanding. Um, Light your word on fire in our hearts, Father God. And let it it burn away the dross and bring forth a vessel fit for the finer. We thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 starts with the word for. For you are dead, and this ties it back to the set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. That was the last podcast that we put up, and we talked about some of those things that are above, and some um, as contrasted, contrasted to the things on the earth. Verse one says, "If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God." Now, I'd like to introduce a thought to you that maybe you haven't thought of before um the commandment the bible says came because of transgression when god made his covenant with abraham and with isaac and with jacob there was no levitical law there were no offerings there was no tabernacle when god brought the children of israel out of egypt and brought them back to started to bring them back to the land of canaan they were carrying with them false gods. The Bible says, if you read Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, Stephen said, you carried about the star of your god, Remph, and we've actually looked at those texts a little bit recently, but the children of Israel carried out their gods out of Egypt with them, and they brought much of the sin out of Egypt with them. And because of the sin that they brought out that did not reflect the true nature of their position, God gave them commandments. And those commandments are are enumerated for us in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, uh, those commandments were not original commandments changes and acts that god was creating at the moment those commandments were things that came from his nature from his heart from who he is like the moral law of god thou shalt have no other gods before me that goes all the way back to the very beginning god cast lucifer out of heaven because he had um, tried to exalt himself like the most high so god did not add the laws. The laws were not new laws that God made for the occasion. They were the same truths about God and they t- taught the truths about God that had been true from the foundation of the world. Now what the Bible says they were added. What were they added to? They were added to the Israelites. God gave them a codified written law that they did not have previously. That does not mean that God had changed his mind or God made up something new does that make sense today this is important to understand I want you to get this today the law of God has always been and always will be what it is and what it was because God is God and he never changes The difference that has happened throughout history as you see different people getting different instructions at different times is there have been different revelations of God and different requirements that God has placed on man at different times to fulfill different purposes, but all of them with the one main goal of exalting Christ. And if you don't see that, I'm sorry for you. You have been blinded. God told Isaiah to walk barefoot and naked. And I've never met a preacher that God's called to do that since. Never heard of one. So God has dealt differently with different people at different times. But all of it has to do, it all ties back into his nature. It all ties back into who he is. He has never changed. He's never changed. People have changed. And therefore, God's God in his condescension and kindness has reacted to those changes in order to bring us the gospel. Now, the position of the Israelites as they left Egypt was that they were children of Abraham, and God had promised that in them should all the nations of the world be blessed, he'd promised them a land, the promised land, Canaan, he'd made many promises there to the children of Israel and those promises were theirs, but they were not living in a way that reflected the promises and the covenants to Abraham. They were living like Egyptians. So because of their transgressions, God added the commandments and the commandments were given because of transgression, the Bible says. Now, this is something the Jews often will pride themselves in that they were given the commandments. But God says in His Word they were given the commandments because they weren't living up, up to their covenant. So the very thing they're proud of is the thing they should be ashamed of, that God had to give them the commandments because they were not living up to their covenant and they never did and they never will until Jesus Christ comes back and rules and reigns with a rod of iron and then they will. Now, salvation is pictured in coming out of egypt egypt is a type of the world and the children of israel coming out of egypt was a picture that god gave us of a man being saved salvation requires a death and we see this the death of salvation pictured all throughout the bible when they came out of egypt what's the first thing that happened to them the first big event after eat after they came out of egypt who knows somebody help me out what Well, they were worshiping idols, but before they had any biblical record of worshiping idols, something big happened at a blue sea that's called Red. Now, it's all kinds of different colors at different times, depending on the rains and everything else. But in any case, the Red Sea, they got down to the Red Sea. And I believe with all my heart and all my being, it's exactly what the Bible said it is. It's the Red Sea. And that's what they crossed. They did not cross a bunch of salt marshes. Most of you were just a little rabbit. If you check your little maps in the back of your Bible, you'll find out that the liberals have gotten a hold of the maps. And they will show the route of the children of Israel going around the top of the Red Sea. Or they might even showing it going up way up on an isthmus up on the north side of the Sinai Peninsula. And they'll say something. They'll explain their reasoning. They say, the children of Israel didn't really go over on dry land. The dry was relative. And they went through a salt marsh or something stupid like that. I don't have any use or any time for people's opinions that will castigate the Word of God, that'll cast down the Word of God, that'll criticize the Word of God, and they think they're smarter than God. Now, um, the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, and the Red Sea, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, was a picture of baptism. He says, know ye not that they were all baptized unto Moses in the sea and in the cloud. So the sea was on both sides of them, standing up as walls of water, and the cloud was above them, and it was a picture of immersion, and they went down through. It was not a sprinkling. By the way, they didn't even get wet, but they were under and surrounded by water, And as they passed through that Red Sea, it was a picture of baptism, and baptism is a picture of death. And we get that from Romans 6. Let's go there real quick. Romans chapter 6, one of the most important chapters for a Christian to read in the Bible. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And you could have asked this to the Egyptians when they came out of Egypt. Should you continue in sin? Should you continue in sin that the covenant to Abraham may abound, you're walking in sin. God brought you out of Egypt, but you've brought Egypt with you. And he says, Paul says here in Romans, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now that planting alludes to what Jesus was saying whenever he said, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it it bringeth forth much fruit death is part of the salvation process salvation requires death now we found that we found that there we are dead in trespasses and sins as we studied previously let's look back in colossians chapter 2 he says there in verse 13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Ephesians 2, 1 says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and we studied that out in the podcast um, Dead Men Walking or The Walking Dead. I can't remember what we called it, but it was one of those. So the death must come in order to have salvation. Now, when Adam sinned, the Bible says death passed on all men for that all have sinned. And a lot of people will criticize God for allowing Adam to die. But if God had not allowed Adam to die, Adam could never have lived. And that's just the raw truth of it. Now, Adam died in his sins, he died spiritually that day, he passed on the shell of a spirit to people, so that men walk around as a body that has a soul, that has an empty shell of a spirit that is there, but it is, it is like a ghost, like a vapor compared to what it was. You see, God created Adam in his own image, and the Bible says in John chapter 4, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And Genesis teaches us that God created man in his own image. Now, he created man in his image and in his likeness, and he made man a triune being, just as he is a triune being. God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Ghost so there is the spirit of God there is the body of God which is Jesus Christ his sacrifices and offerings thou wouldst not but a body hast thou prepared me Jesus Christ is the body of God in him he says is the he is the express image of the Godhead and it says there right in chapter 2 verse 9 of Colossians for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily so Jesus Christ is the body the holy ghost is the spirit and that leaves the father to be the soul the mind the will the emotions um, of god are embodied in the embodies the wrong word for that but the mind the will and the emotions the soul is is the father in a sense now these three are one they are completely individual but they are completely perfectly one not united in thought not united in plans not united in heart they are one and god made man in his image man we people give us the example of man they say the trinity let's talk about the trinity for a second it's the it's like an egg you've got a shell a yolk and a white i'm sorry that's a bad analogy the shell is dead the white is food or the yolk is food and the white is proteins and there's and there's really nothing living there except that little bitty spark of life, the little um, cells down there at the bottom. That if they've been fertilized will begin to split and consume the food and eventually break the shell. So the egg really is a bad analogy of God. I can see why people use it because there's three parts to it. But there's lots of things with three parts. And just because something has three parts doesn't mean it's a good image of God. I've never, you know, next thing you know we'll have people bowing down to eggs, praying to eggs. God made one thing to represent him in all of creation, in all of the universe. It's not the stars. It's not the wind. It's not the waves. It's not the leaves. There's an old song that they used to sing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and shoot this rabbit real quick. There's an old song they used to sing. Um, I wish I could blow like the leaves or something like that. And they go on. I wish I could. I can't remember. Do you remember it? And the whole idea is, I wish I could sound like the leaves blowing in the wind in an effort to praise you. And it goes, in an effort to praise you, in an effort to praise you, it's part of this contemporary trash. And it is trash. It's a bunch of mindless, doctrinalists, or doctrine-less, or heretic music. A lot of it is just pure heresy and error and has nothing to do with scriptural doctrine. And that's one of them. God doesn't want you to blow like a leaf in a tree. He doesn't want you to be a butterfly. He wants you to be a man. God created you in his image. Now, you ladies, he wants you to be ladies, The man and the woman, he he called man there in Genesis. I shouldn't have to explain that, but in our gender-neutral society, it gets kind of mixed up, and now we've got to start explaining things that kindergartners know better than until they're taught and defiled and perverted by Disney and the rest of our society. And this current administration will have to answer to God. Joe Biden um miss harris and all the rest of you are going to have to answer to god for what you are doing to the children in this nation and jesus christ said it were better for you that a millstone be hung around your neck and you be cast into the depths of the sea than that you should offend one of these little ones and you are in danger and i recommend and i and i recommend as a man but i i'll pass on the command of jesus christ repent repent god help us today to not run too many rabbits now, salvation requires death. First, we're dead in sins. Man was made in the image of God, a triune being with a body, a soul, and a spirit. And when Adam died, his spirit was the most perfect Powerful part of Adam. We do not know what Adam was exactly like because Adam died that day. His children did not know what he was like, his grandchildren did not know what he was like. They only knew the dead Adam. The Adam that knew his wife and she conceived and brought forth the firstborn son and called his name Cain was spiritually dead in trespasses and sins spiritually he was cut off from god spiritually he had lost his power and ability to truly live the way that god wanted him to live and he was living out a life of near meaninglessness very near meaninglessness now we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Adam had two children, Cain and Abel, right off the bat. He had others after that, but they were both dead. They were both born with a shell of a spirit. Now, people get so crossed up about original sin. Maybe we'll study it out someday. We're not going to study it out today. But this is critical to understanding original sin. This concept that Adam's sin is not Imputed to me. I am not going to be judged and damned for Adam's sin. If I'm judged and damned, I'll be judged for my sin that I commit. But I commit sin because Adam sinned and death passed on all men, for that all have sinned. And that spiritual life from God was cut off at the Garden of Eden, and everyone that's ever been born since creation, since the creation of Adam and Eve, has been born with a sin nature with a broken dead spirit that has no ability to commune with God and therefore as they grow up they prove their dead condition by committing sins themselves as fast and as soon as they possibly can. For a while a child will commit sins in relative ignorance But after a very short amount of time, a child will begin to willfully sin against God and against his parents. And that is absolutely undeniable. Nobody had to teach you how to lie. Nobody had to teach you how to be lazy. Nobody had to teach you how to steal. And that's how we are dead in trespasses and sins. You can go back and study that out for yourself you can also go to those other podcasts that we have up on the subject particularly on colossians 2 and 13 and study that out so there's a dead in sins that happens um, that we are in a condition of uh, from birth and secondly there is a dead to sins that happens at the new birth so, and this is this is a very hard thing to get our minds around. It's a very hard thing for me to grasp because I still have a struggle with sin. But here the word of God says in Colossians 3:3, 3, 3, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, the Bible tells us how that in Christ, we are crucified with Christ. There in Galatians, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we've got to dive into that um, faith. And we'll discuss that in just a little while. But that crucified with Christ is being dead with Christ you will not be risen with Christ unless you first die with Christ. I remember preaching at a church one time and an old Jezebel came in the back door and sat down and God had me preaching on the law and he had me preach the law hard. The Lord gave me specific instructions in my heart. He doesn't speak to me audibly, but he does speak to my heart and he manifests the truth of what he said through his word and through the fruit that it bears. In any case, the Lord God "'Gave me direction to preach the law and not relent, "'not to back down and not to preach one word of grace "'until he gave me the green light.'" So I went up there trembling. I'd never preached like I knew that God wanted me to preach and I needed God's help. I cried out to God for help and I started preaching the law. And for 30 minutes and only 30 minutes, I preached the law, nothing but the law. I preached law, 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 law. And as I did, this lady in the back became more sullen and more sour and more angry and more upset every minute. And finally, God gave me the green light and he said, preach grace. And I preached grace if I could say so humbly like I'd never preached grace before. My heart was yearning for grace myself because the law brings death and the Spirit brings life. The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And I preached grace, and my heart was lifted up in grace and magnified Christ in grace. And many of the people in that church magnified and exalted Christ for his grace. At the close of the service, that lady came to the back of the church to shake my hand, and she said, Your words kill. I knew what she meant because I saw her dying back there. And the Lord gave me an answer, and I looked at her with all the love in my heart that I could possibly allow God to give through me to her. And I said, ma'am, until you die, you'll never be raised from the dead. Smoke started coming out of her ears, and she walked out the building unwilling to die unwilling to reckon herself dead unwilling to see herself the way that god has judged her as dead in trespasses and sins and therefore unsaved as long as you are unwilling to admit your condition of death, as long as you are unwilling to believe it with all your heart and to embrace the fact that God has judged you as dead and agree with God about it, you cannot receive Christ. People talk about receiving Christ. They talk about um, letting, opening your heart to Jesus. How do you do that? Has anybody here ever tried to open your heart to Jesus? I have. It's not easy. You can grab your chest right here and try and peel the bones back. Will that work? Nope. You'll die trying that way. How do you open your heart to Jesus? That's it's such a nebulous phrase. It has no real meaning that you can attach to it. It's just this ephemeral idea that I'm just going to like open my heart to Jesus. Well, when that happens, what usually happens whenever people hear about receiving Christ, accept Jesus, which is Bible, they say accept Jesus. What people try to do is they try to sit there and think themselves into Jesus. So they open their mind to Jesus, but not their heart. And then other people sit there and they try and get a bunch of feelings and goosebumps and and they try and weep over the story of the cross. And we should weep over the story of the cross. But that's what they're that's what they're trying to do to receive Christ. And other people come in with the will and they sit there hurling mind thoughts at heaven. Save me. Please save me. Please save me. Pray this prayer. Do this thing. Do this good work. And it's a act of the will and they're trying to force their heart to accept Christ. And they're trying to force their heart to believe Christ. The reality is when a seed falls into the ground, it cannot bring forth fruit until it dies, Jesus said. And when it dies, what is the process of that seed dying? The moisture in the ground begins to soften that seed, doesn't it? And then that seed begins to split open, doesn't it? And just when you think that seed is dead and not going to be good for anything, a little tiny green stem starts to show and poke up and pretty soon it shoots up through the dirt and the leaves come out and that seed has opened itself up to life. Now how did that seed open? It opened by dying. How do you receive Christ? The Bible says by faith. But how do you do it? By dying. Death must come for life to come. The death comes before the life. And how do you die? It is by repentance, which is, oh boy, this repentance thing is such a misunderstood topic. Repentance, get this, I'm going to say this twice, and we'll maybe get it. Repentance is aligning my perspective with God's perspective, which results in the alignment of my actions with God's actions. It results in that change. Repentance is aligning my perception and understanding with God's perception and understanding, which results in the alignment of my actions with God's actions. If you are out there preaching repentance as a change of life, that you must change your behavior, then you have now created a works-based salvation, and people can only be saved by faith if they work hard enough at changing their behavior. And if you say there's no repentance possible for part as part of salvation because the Bible says believe you have to throw out half of the Bible including how Jesus Christ himself preached the gospel in Matthew 4:17 he preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand now, I know some of you want to hyper dispensationalize that away but that is what Jesus Christ preached and there in acts the Bible says I believe in 17 or 18 Paul preached God commandeth all men everywhere to repent so good luck dispensation that away. And if you're that far gone, you're probably thrown out your whole Bible. And you're not even saved. Now the death must come for salvation. And the death that God requires is a death to a false life. Now we think we're alive. That little hard pinto bean sitting on the counter thinks it's alive, thinks it's, thinks it's okay. And it's got a hard shell and it's trying to hold on But until it falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. We must die to our false life before God can give us true life. So the first death is the death that we are found in. And that death is a death that we do not comprehend because we're holding on to our perception of life. And we're so caught up in our soulish existence lacking spiritual power to commune with God, lacking spiritual power to obey God, lacking spiritual enlightenment to understand God, lacking spiritual understanding to know God. And we're so caught up in our soulish existence that we're unwilling to let go of that existence and admit to God that he is right and we're really actually dead in trespasses and sins. Now, the second death that has to happen relates to the second birth. You're born dead in trespasses and sins. And the second birth, the new birth that Jesus talked about, you must be born again. And during that birth, you must die to sins. Now, whenever a little baby is born, there are things that must be shed from that baby for that baby to truly live. He can't live with the placenta attached to him. He can't live with the umbilical cord still attached to him. He cannot live in his mother's womb. He must be born. He must be brought forth. He must be brought out into life. Salvation requires death, and sanctification in Jesus Christ requires a death to our efforts and our own righteousness. Now, salvation, as we've talked about, is the passing from death unto life, the Bible says. We're dead in trespasses and sins. So then if our condition of spiritual death moves us to turn to Christ for spiritual life, Follow this. If our condition of spiritual death moves us to turn to Christ for spiritual life, then comes to pass this saying in Colossians 3.3, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. What an amazing concept. Go to 1 John 1.6. 1 John 1.6. In us, drop down to verse three of chapter two, in first John. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him, but whoso keepeth the word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. We're about to get into some commandments here in Colossians 3. And the commandments are given because of transgression. Just like they were given in the Old Testament for transgression, the commandments in the New Testament are also given because of transgression. The Bible says that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. We do not need a law. In fact, it's something that... Um, My dad was a preacher and he said "In one of the things he would say in his church, we have one law and it's love. And recently over here where I go to church, the pastor has started saying, uh, we have one law here and it's love. And that's a common thing uh, amongst Christians who love the Lord to say. But the problem is that transgression enters in. And when transgression enters in, then commandment has to enter in. You say, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Well, that may be true. If you are living in the grace of God and the power of God, then that is true. But if you are living after the flesh, the Bible says, ye shall die. Now, death has nothing to do with the new life God gave us in Christ. So how can you die if you're already dead in Christ? How come you will suffer condemnation? How come there's guilt? How come there's chastening of every son whom he loves? They that are in the flesh, the Bible says, cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. That's Romans 8, 8. John six sixty three says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and the life. Jesus said there, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. And then we'll go to Romans 8 real quick and look at those verses. That verse that I just gave you, verse 8, in its context, it says here in verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. So our mind, our will, our emotions, our soul, then has a carnality to it that is enmity against God. What is the source of our carnality? The source of our carnality is exactly defined in the word carna for flesh. Carnality is fleshliness. The fleshly mind cannot serve God. So now we have a battle going on in the Christian. I wish I could draw something out for you here, but I can't. Uh, It's just an audio recording. I've already drawn it out for the group that's here present. But imagine for a moment two mountains, and on one mountain you have a dark castle of flesh. You have a valley in the middle with the mind, the will, and the emotions. And on the far side you have a mountain of spirit with a beautiful glistening white castle with um, flags and spires. When a man is saved, the castle of the Spirit is inhabited with the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says we are sealed unto the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit of promise. The body is constantly under attack from Satan because the Bible says that when a spirit is cast out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. We remember a case in the Bible where the demoniac of Gadara had devils cast out of him and they besought Christ to cast them in To the swine instead of the deep. There's much mystery in that. Be careful that you don't try and interpret things God doesn't interpret. Just believe the Bible and let it define itself. But in any case, those swine were inhabited with the devils and they went absolutely crazy and rushed down into the water and drowned. Animals cannot contain and give any rest to spirits. And I don't understand all that, but it's Bible. Now, A man has the capability in his flesh to somehow give a measure of rest to the unrestful soul of the damned angels. I don't understand that, but it's Bible. So that flesh then is constantly under attack by Satan to be inhabited as a place of rest, as a dwelling place for the devil. Now, there's all kinds of shows and stories and fiction that's been written by this world that deals with this. And if you're getting into that stuff, get out of it. Most of the manga, the Japanese cartoons, a lot of your superhero garbage and trash out here, All has to do with demonic possession of individuals to give them power. And we've got things like Star Wars out there. And they've got some kind of microorganisms that they call the force that empower people. You've got all this junk out here. And all that junk, I don't don't even like to mention it. I mention it because some of you are into it and you need to get out of it. And I'm warning you that stuff's garbage. The root of it is demonic possession and demonic power and witchcraft and sorcery now the mind the will and the emotions then become the battleground when a man is lost he has no holy spirit of god and his own spirit is a empty castle it's a beautiful castle it's a white glistening castle and it's a castle that the devil wants to move into so the devil will move into a man using the the body, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, the senses. The devil uses the senses to lure man. Once he gets in through the man's senses, through his ear gate, his eye gate, his mouth gate, his nose gate, his touch gate, once he gets into the soul through the senses, then he begins to conquer the soul, the mind, the will, and emotions, but he doesn't do it openly. He moves into that dead, em- that empty castle. Now it's a beautiful castle. So sometimes the devil chooses to make it um, look very spiritual and he will give a false light to that inner spiritual part of the man and he'll give false illumination and he'll give false hope and he'll give false revelation to that person and he will speak to them through that inner spiritual part of the man and he'll speak to their soul much like the Holy Spirit of God desires to speak to a man once he's saved. Now, when the evil spirits do this, they launch a full-scale battle against the mind, the will, and the emotions to bring them into subjection to the satanic power that has taken over that man. For the Christian, Jesus Christ, the Spirit of the Son, has now taken up residence in that castle on the Hill of Spirit. They have a mind, a will, and emotions, and they have a flesh, and that flesh still is there with the same five gates that it had before, taste, touch, sight, smell, and what I miss, feel, taste, touch, sight, sound, and feel. And through those gates, the devil begins to work against the Christian and begins to attack the Christian and tries to work against what God is doing in the Christian. The Holy Spirit of God desires to fill you, spirit, soul, and body, according to, I believe, the book of Ephesians. But you can look that up if you search that text, spirit, soul, and body, you should find it. And the Word of God says that God would sanctify you, spirit, soul, and body. When you're saved, you are indwelt at the moment of salvation, according to the Word of God. The Spirit of God moves into that castle on the hill, takes up residence, illuminates, quickens, revives, strengthens, resurrects the spirit of the man inside. God help us not to get this twisted up. Don't let Satan twist this, deceive people with this teaching, Lord God. Please keep it straight. Keep me straight, Lord. As we're walking, Lord, in some difficult things. Help us today in Jesus' name. So from that spirit then, the Holy Spirit of God begins to operate on your mind let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. He begins to work on the will that you may prove what is the perfect and acceptable will of God and to conform your will into his will. And he begins to work on your emotions and give you emotional love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and other parts that, ha- that come in the emotions, and the Spirit of God begins to spread His influences through the soul. Whenever the man then submits his soul, when his mind, his will, and his emotions yield to Christ, and yield to the lordship of a sovereign God who sits and reigns in that castle, then the Holy Spirit of God, and only then, will move out of that man, out of his spirit, that is, down into that valley of soul, and, and take control of the soul. From the soul, the Spirit of God will move the body, because the body is what is able to control the soul. The soul the, or the body then is like a keep. A keep is like a little castle on the outside of a area that's protected by walls like a great city imagine in your mind for a second a giant city that's surrounded by huge walls with a massive citadel in the corner and at the front edge at the most exposed place in that city they have a keep a smaller castle that's built purely for defense it has no comforts as far as we would consider comforts it's just built for defense that's your body The soul is the city where the business and the transactions, the thought processes, the decisions and the politics, everything else is carried out from the soul. And then the citadel is where the king sits and reigns. And the citadel is held by Jesus Christ in the life of a Christian and will never be given up by Christ ever if the devil manages to overthrow the body of a Christian and overthrow the soul of a Christian and they are living in sin and will not repent, it is because of them, not of Christ. Because Christ will not rule where he is not asked until the millennial reign. And then he will, so watch out. Watch out for that day, you rebels. So, when the devil manages to overthrow the body and the soul and make such a despot desolation of a Christian in spite of God's chastenings, and that man has yielded himself to the devil over and over again, eventually God will take that Christian home. He will destroy the keep and he will raise that body later in newness of life and he'll drive out the devil's Because God's not going to lose the battle. He never has lost a battle. He never will lose a battle. God doesn't know how to lose. You say there's nothing God doesn't know. There's only one thing he doesn't know and that's how to lose. Now I'm saying that in a different sense, aren't I? God knows how we can lose and he knows the operation of it, but he has never lost and he never will lose. So he's never experienced it. The closest thing you could come is the cross, but on the cross, Christ swallowed up death and victory god doesn't know how to lose in that sense don't rest to my words and make me an offender for a word please just have mercy on me i'm just a man trying to explain some truths that are beyond me i've just got a little grasp on the corner of these truths here i'm trying to bring them to you scripturally so we have you you are dead and your life is hid with christ so your life then is hid with Christ where? In that citadel, in that spirit. The Bible talks about how we are in heavenly places with Christ. Jesus talked about how he was in the Father and the Father was on him. He said that the Son of Man had come down from heaven who is in heaven. And Jesus Christ is in both places at once because he's God. He's omniscient. He can be, he, he, is, um, he is everywhere. He's all present. He's all present. He can be everywhere at once. So when he's in the spirit of a man, that's inside there, that new creature that was made in true holiness and true righteousness is now hid with Christ inside that impregnable citadel. The devil cannot get even one fiery dart into that citadel of the spirit that is sealed by the spirit of promise. He cannot but he can affect your mind, your will, and emotions through your ear gate, your eye gate, your smell gate, your taste gate, and your touch gate. He can get you through your senses. So he puts up a dirty image in front of you and now you're tempted and your mind and your will and your emotions have to deal with that temptation. And what happens next is a battle between the devil trying to come in through your senses and the spirit of God within your spirit who is saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest to your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is not God's will for you to be a perfect Christian yourself. It's his will for you to follow Christ and for Christ to be the perfect Christian in you. Christ is not a Christian in that sense. That word was given to us by our enemies, but he, Jesus Christ wants to live his life through you. So here in Colossians, you are, dead, you are dead and your life is hid with Christ. This state that he's talking to, he's talking about is, um, is all based off of what we've been reading in Colossians 2. And the whole point of this is that this battle is taking place to try and take control of your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's what the devil wants. And the devil can do a great deal of damage and harass you for many years and he will harass you as long as God gives him the as long as God allows him to he'll never give up. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll look at this and we will close today. It's more of just a teaching message. Hope it helps you today as it's helped me. These truths. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now your life is hid with Christ, not outwardly, not visible. When a man gets saved, he doesn't get a white shining garment given to him by an angel. His countenance does not become like Christ's as lightning. Light doesn't start shining out of his eyes and out of his fingertips. In fact, when a man gets saved with long hair, you know what he's got when he's done getting saved? Long hair. And when a man gets saved with tattoos, do you know what he's got when he gets saved? Tattoos. When a man gets saved with alcohol in his system, and that can happen because it's a spiritual work, not a physical, do you know what that man has in his system when he gets saved? Alcohol. Your body is not changed yet and we'll get into that, Lord willing, in the next verse, looking at the blessed hope that's coming to those that believe. Your body's not changed immediately, visibly, outwardly, but your life is hid with Christ because Christ is there in the citadel, in the spirit, and though it's invisible to other people, it's nevertheless true. And now the Christian life, as we've looked at before, we, we had a whole message on this um, Colossians 2, as you have received Christ Jesus your Lord, so walk ye in him. As you get saved by faith, even so you must walk by faith. You get saved by turning from your self-righteousness, giving up on trying to be better, admitting that God is right in his judgment of you, and trusting Jesus Christ and Christ alone to save you from your sins. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. And that's what that belief means. The Bible defines what biblical belief is. The Bible defines belief. You don't get to. Just because you say you believed doesn't mean you believed biblically. And when you believe biblically on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. So in the same way, now there's a battle for the saved Christian, and the battle is over his soul, the battle is through the body, and if Satan can go use those gates, the sense gates, to get through into your body, and pervert and pollute your soul, then he can pervert and pollute your body. And he can't take the citadel, but he can at least desecrate the city in revenge. And he can, by that, destroy your ability to affect anybody else. Because guess what? Eyes up here. What did I just say? Eyes up here. What did I just ask you to do? I just asked you to turn your eye gate this direction so that I could use my eye gate to look at your eye gate, while I use my voice gate to touch your sound gate, your ears, to proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if Satan can so dominate my soul, he can pervert my body, and when you look at me, I will have nothing to offer you to bring you closer to Christ. That's his goal. He wants to destroy your ability to affect anyone else for Christ. That's why the battle. It's revenge and it's good tactics. If he can't take the citadel, he can at least destroy your ability to produce a substantial attack on his kingdom. There's an old saying, the best defense is a good offense and satan is a master at having a good off a good defense through offense he will attack your body and then he will attack your soul so that he can have you so shut down that you can do nothing to advance the gospel for christ now this battle is a battle of faith it's not a battle of mind will and emotions this is where we get absolutely screwed up Psychologists, Christian psychologists even, try to address our problems through the mind. Other people try and address the problems through the will. And still, yet, other people try and address it through the emotions. Well, these three parts, they're sort of like captains. If you've never read John Bunyan's Holy War, it's a, it's a good read for someone that likes to study as long as you keep your Bible handy and are willing to rightly divide the word of truth and, and just be careful with it. Any analogy, any allegory will break down. You've got to keep the Bible as your standard. But there in the book Holy War, he put up these as captains. And in fact, a lot of the reading of that book helped me see some of these truths and illustrate it in my heart and mind for me. But it's the word of God that gave me the illumination and gave me the understanding. It'll be the same for you. But these captains, Captain Mind, Captain Will, and Captain Emotions, these three captains are trying to control the city and the gates. But they don't have the strength or the power to resist the devil. And this is where faith comes in. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do you know why you sin? Why do you ever sin again after you get saved? Because of doubt. Because into your mind and your will and your emotions creeps from the devil doubts about God. That's the only reason we ever sin. If we really believed God about how much he hates sin and how he sees sin, and if we really believed God about his precious promises that he's able to keep us from falling, and that He is he's given us the whole armor of God so that we may be able to stand in the evil day, we would be sinlessly perfect. We're not. The reason we're not is because of doubts. The reason we are is because of a failure to believe God. This is a battle of faith. The new man is perfect and pure, hid with Christ. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ. The battle that wages next happens because our body and our soul are not perfect. They will be. We'll get into the perfecting of the body, Lord willing, and the blessed hope in the next verse of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. And Lord willing, we may look at that Monday when we get around to that. excuse me so the battle of the soul of man for control of his body takes place between the spirit of god and the devil you are dead and your life is hid with christ how do you win that battle and you're not going to like this answer you're not going to like this answer because you want to work harder you will people You've got a strong will and you trust your will. You're hoping by your will to be spiritual. So you're not going to like this answer. And you smart people out there that understand things nobody else can understand and a normal intellect will not be able to comprehend your doctrine, you're not going to like this either because you're trusting in your great divines of old, the great theologians that you study. And you're trusting in all of your theology and your, your systematic theology that you've got. And you're trusting in that to get you through. And you emotional ones, you're not going to like this either because all you want is the good, um, the drug of emotionalism. And you're trying to make it just on pure emotions. So you go to every event that you can go to to pump up your emotions and try and keep yourself living on an emotional high because you have found out that emotions are powerful. And if your emotions are stirred enough, you can overcome some of the fiery darts of the devil through your emotional attachment to Christ. So you're clinging to your emotions. And you've got to go every time the contemporary show is on, the big rock concerts, the lights and the fogs, try and get yourself all pumped up again so that you can make another week without falling into absolute decadent immorality oh you have some sin you you've got your porn on your computer you've got your little you lust after everybody else's wife you've got all these other sins that you're committing covetousness idolatry we're going to get into this stuff but at least you're not openly sinning and you're maintaining that facade with your intellect you're maintaining that facade with your will you're maintaining the facade with your emotions so you're not going to like what i'm about to tell you The battle for the sanctification of a believer, there's only one thing that will win the battle from your side of the court, and that is faith, because only God can win the battle. Your faith is your belief in God. Faith means trusting the veracity of the one speaking, which means instead of, as good as they can be, camp meetings, instead of Christian rock concerts, instead of big theologians, instead of big fancy Bible teachers and conferences and seminars, and instead of 17 steps and 45 steps and 3 steps and all the other things that you can do, God offers us victory through faith. Believe God. The degree to which you believe God is the degree to which you will have victory. Sanctification is related to sanctification faith and faith alone one preacher said it this way actually many preachers have if you want to be full of god's spirit get full of god's word the two are not the same but the one brings the other if you will read god's word and believe it god will do miracles in your life that's all we've got today for you're dead and your life is hid with christ thank you for being here thanks for tuning in god be with you till we meet again